Cause maybe the night the machines might let me know All the stars are closer All the stars are closer Tell me what you gonna do to me Confrontation ain't nothing new to me You could bring a bullet, bring a sword, bring a morgue But you can't bring the truth to me Alexa, play Kendrick Lamar and SZA Okay With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need Get tens of millions of songs Download the Amazon Music app today Blog Talk Radio
Sarah with Pagan Musings Podcast, and we are here to discuss our topic of sex, ethics, and abuse in the magical world, part two. Um, There has been a lot going on in the last week since we did our part one episode, and um, including included in that is um, the issue of the frosts and the Florida Pagan Gathering, which we will address during this episode. Uh, I would like to point out that um, one of our guests for today, Amber Moon, was unfortunately called into her work, which is a police officer's job. And um, so, you know, I told her we don't commi- we, we don't uh, try to compete with criminal activities around here. So <laughs> if she needed to get called in, it was going to be fine with us. But we do have our other guest tonight, and that guest is Kat, is it Shapen Bishop? Chapin Bishop. Chapin Bishop? Chapin Bishop. Okay. okay. And you have been involved in this kind of issues for quite some time as a counselor, correct? Yeah, I became uh, I became a psychotherapist very nearly the same time that I became a pagan uh, in the mid-'80s. And from the beginning of my career, uh, for whatever reason, I was drawn to work with primarily adult, though some uh, child and teen survivors of childhood sexual abuse. So for about 20 years, that was uh, most of what I did. I suppose in the interest of full disclosure, uh, I should uh, also say that uh, I became a teacher uh, just a public school teacher, ordinary public school teacher, uh, in uh, 2004, and that uh, about three years ago I retired from uh, my private practice uh, uh, as a psychotherapist. So I am now a former uh, psychotherapist specializing in child sexual abuse, but had a good mm-hmm. run. So, okay. Um, Experience. My my primary experience has been in community mental health centers uh, and also in private practice, looking specifically at survivors, primarily adult survivors of trauma and sexual abuse. Uh, and I certainly have had some crossover uh, with the pagan community. I've had uh, interactions with, sadly, both perpetrators 
and uh, survivors of child sexual abuse that uh, were pagans. So it mm-hmm. is something that I have some some experience with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, in in my opinion, one of the things that we as a community really need to wrap our brains around is that just because somebody's pagan doesn't mean they're just completely awesome all around. Yeah, and um, one of the things that's been really concerning to me in the whole online discussion, it's, I hope, self-evident, I'll say it straight out, uh, child sexual abuse is not okay, is never okay, is wrong. So in no way do I want my comments to be taken as changing that as the bottom line at all. But a lot of the online discussion uh, around this issue has really been uh, focused on demonizing people who are suspected of child sexual abuse. And one of the main reasons why I think that's a real mistake is then we, uh, we risk overlooking the fact that Sometimes it's somebody that you have admired. Uh, it, it can be somebody who's done a lot of good things for the community and has this issue and is hurting kids. So, uh, again, if, if we are not prepared to see the full range of who can be a perpetrator of sexual abuse, we're going to miss a lot and we're going to miss protecting a lot of kids. That's, that's my mm-hmm. biggest concern around that. Okay, so um, in general, what 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 was your first thought regarding the Kenny Klein issue, which kind of launched this this whole discussion? Well, I, I was um, I was saddened. Uh, I think everybody everybody who heard the news was emotionally affected first, and I certainly was. I've never met Kenny Klein uh, or any of his family members. I am familiar with his music. Uh, and he's been around for a long time. I also know that he's been connected with uh, the Blue Star uh, tradition of Wicca, and I have many friends who are Blue Star, so right away my heart kind of went out to them. Uh, They're some of the most solid folks that I know in the community, and just I I feel really bad uh, that this is something that they're having to to deal with. Uh, Mm -hmm. Of course, um, even worse is, to deal with sexual abuse uh, in, in, your, in your past. I know a lot of people are um, minimizing the offense that he was uh, arrested for, uh, child pornography. But I think given both the fact that uh, perpetrators, when uh, they're post-conviction and there's, there's nothing on the line, if, if you interview perpetrators uh, of sexual abuse about offenses, uh, they'll they'll tell you that they've committed many more offenses than they've been caught committing. That doesn't mean that Kenny Klein is uh, guilty of more than possessing child pornography. He hasn't been tried, and I suppose it is possible that he is not guilty of possessing child pornography, but it sure looks like that. Uh, and there is a reasonable probability that he's guilty of more than what he's been arrested for, just kind of thinking statistically. So if you look at the law of averages, it's more likely that he's not an exception to the rule than that he is, uh, especially since there have been other credible allegations that have have come out since that arrest. When I say credible allegation, 
uh, I don't necessarily mean anything that would ever result in uh, an investigation uh, by Child Protective Services or a criminal investigation. Sometimes there are reasons why that cannot happen. But when you have uh, identified, uh, identified victims who are able to be specific and to describe what's happened to them and are willing to go on the record, that's reason to take uh, allegations really seriously. It's not the same thing as a rumor campaign. Rumor campaigns can happen too, and they're another uh, another reason to be concerned about how uh, emotional a lot of uh, people in our community are. I think we're everybody wants to be on the side of of the angels, and uh, sometimes there's there's just so much pain going on that. It's not so easy to figure out how to do that. I see a lot of good people who are uh, angry with each other. Uh, nobody that I'm aware of is rationalizing, is justifying sexual abuse. But I think because uh, he was somebody who was well-known and by some people at least well-respected, there's a tendency on one hand to minimize uh, what happened, uh, mm-hmm. what, what seems to have happened, and on the other hand, uh, to feel uh, betrayed enough to react with unthinking anger. There's certainly a reason to be angry, uh, but unthinking anger gets in the way of uh, more truth coming out rather than helps it. Mm-hmm. Now, we we did have a special edition on Friday of the Pagan Musings podcast in which we hosted um, the Green Egg and their uh, episode with um, Zipporah and Joe. Who, uh, Zipporah is Kenny Klein's ex-wife and Joe is his son. And they talked about some of the things that they experienced. One of the things that they said was that um, in trying to deal with what had happened to them, they had discovered a significant amount of evidence that Kenny Klein himself had been abused and was, in fact, a third generation. So, yeah, there's a couple of things that are really important to understand about that. Uh, and one is that uh, the vast majority of people who sexually abuse kids were themselves sexually abused as kids. And the other side of that coin, I, I can't stress it enough, uh, is that it doesn't go the other way around. The vast majority of those who are sexually abused as kids are not going to become abusers. So that's mm-hmm. that's one burden I really want to make sure nobody puts on the shoulders of survivors. Right. But those who grow up to abuse kids were almost always themselves abused when they were kids. In mm-hmm. some ways, that can be the hardest part of treatment for a perpetrator. Uh, it's It's really tough for them to really wrestle with uh, the feelings and emotions that come out of their own childhood victimization. Uh, there's plenty of shame around being an offender. It's really hard that the therapies that are specific to working with perpetrators are not a walk in the park. They're not uh, easy at all. But apparently one of the hardest parts is really wrestling with what it's like to be a victim. And I'm not saying that in any way to minimize the harm that's done by these guys, but it's it's a, a big deal, right? And you know, I one of the things that I try to do 
as a way to mitigate my own personal emotional knee-jerk reactions because, you know, like you said, that's that's one of the first things that we do is we have those those emotional reactions. And one of the things that I try to do is I try to find the reason, not necessarily the reason why, but the reason why they could, you know, whether it makes sense to actually have done it is completely irrelevant. It just, there's a path that can be followed that, you know, it's, it's not that these, it's not that people are monsters because I, I really try hard not to, to categorize people as being monstrous or evil but to see what that there's has been some done, sort of, right. what has been done is monstrous. And again, right. I'm not justifying, and I don't hear you justifying what is done to kids. But right. I think, on the other hand, we're all wanting to know, we want to know enough about why some people do this so that we mm-hmm. can know some way to keep it from happening, uh, right. to prevent people from growing into abusers in the first place or if someone is abusive to make sure that they won't offend again. I, I know that um, there are people who would, a, a lot of rhetoric out there. Uh, we should have a death penalty for anyone who does this to a child. Uh, we should lock them up and throw away the key. Unfortunately, when you increase penalties like that, what winds up happening is juries don't want to convict because, mm-hmm. in fact, Perpetrators don't necessarily look, they don't have horns and a tail. Uh, and sometimes, a, a story that I'll share, if, if that's okay with you. Um, the first offender that I knew personally uh, wasn't a member of the pagan community, but he uh, did live in a small town in Vermont where uh, I was living then. And uh, he was a local minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ran a food shelf. If you're in a small town in in Vermont, if you're in a small town anywhere, there's not a lot of services. And he made sure that people didn't go hungry. He also looked around and he saw that there was no place for battered women to go. He was on the board of the Battered Women's Center, and he was one of the prime movers in getting this to happen. So really good stuff, right? Uh, And then it was disclosed that he had been molesting uh, a teenage girl. Well, first of all, he's done all these great things for the community. So he had a lot of a lot of goodwill from a lot of people. Secondly, teenagers, oh my goodness, well, teenagers can uh, have consensual sex, right? So how can it really be abuse? Uh, it didn't involve penetration. If it doesn't involve penetration, does it count? Mm. All of these little ways that people began kind of lying to themselves about what had happened because it wasn't what they expected to find. He wasn't right. the, the profile they had in their head of who does things like this, and she wasn't. Um, I don't know. Do they put, still put the faces of missing kids on milk cartons? She didn't look like <laughs> a kid on a milk carton. Yeah, uh, and it made it harder for people to recognize the fact that yes, this had happened. Happily, um, he was mandated into a treatment program, and he followed it through to completion. So, I mean, mm-hmm. to that degree. There's there's uh, a good ending to the story. Right. So another, I mean, the girl had to deal not only with the fact of having been abused, but a community that wasn't 100% supportive. 
mm-hmm. uh, that wanted to have somebody to blame other than the perpetrator, and I really want us to get beyond that. I think that would be so much better than all of the rhetoric about locking people up and throwing away the key. Let's mm-hmm. let's see who perpetrators really are. Some of them, I think, can be recognized as pretty monstrous, but a lot of them can't. We need to mm-hmm. we need to understand that. Right, and we we saw a lot of the that same activity around the um, the case of the girl who was raped by the the high school boys earlier. I think it was last mid last year or something like that. Yeah, yeah, you know, where that's right. where people people start to say no, no, we've supported these people. They can't be bad people because then we might be bad people. And you know, we really want easy answers. Hand, right, and on the other hand, what we what we really need to do, in my opinion, of course, is um, we need to understand that a lot of these people perpetrated an evil act because they are wounded. And I am much less concerned for the wounds of perpetrators than for the wounds mm-hmm. of victims. Right, uh, right. Makes sense. Uh, I was uh, a victim advocate. I was not a therapist focusing on perpetrators for, for my whole career. But I, I got a little humble uh, when I, it, it didn't happen once. It happened more than once uh, that it turned out that someone that I knew had been a perpetrator. Um, things are uh, – it, it, it gets more complicated than meets the eye. Um, I want us to see clearly because I want us to be willing to act when uh, someone is maybe has has some redeeming uh, value like this minister did. And he he was it was hard for people to wrap their brains around somebody who started a food shop, started a battered women's center, seemed like such a nice guy that he could do bad things to kids. So they sort of rejected the evidence. We need to stop doing that. We also mm-hmm. need to be really clear that uh, compassion doesn't cure, that uh, sympathy is not what perpetrators need. Treatment is what they need. They do not need right. treatment uh, from just anybody either. It needs to be uh, specialized treatment, and most of the time it's going to need to go through the legal system. Uh, people are going to need to be adjudicated into programs because the programs are bloody difficult. They are not mm-hmm. easy to pass through. Uh, and I'm not uh, saying that jail time is inappropriate either. Just the whole uh, zero tolerance, lock them up, throw away the key, uh, that whole philosophy doesn't seem to actually get communities to act for all of the cases where we need to act, we need to mobilize to support victims. So I guess I guess I'm really practical. Maybe I was an idealist at the beginning of my career, but now it's about what will do the most good for the most victims. I, I right. have to say, I've come around to that way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and and you're right. We when I say wounded, you know, I'm not talking about somebody who needs our sympathy. I'm talking about somebody who needs to be sent to the ER, so to speak somebody who needs to be put into the program that will get them the help. It is, uh, in a lot of ways, it's uh, like addictions. Uh, Mm -hmm. You can have uh, a drug addict or an alcoholic who 
uh, weeps on your shoulder one night and says, they'll never, ever, ever do it again. Uh, they're going to be just fine. But uh, that isn't, isn't going to fix the problem. It's a little yeah, more it, difficult it never, than that. It never works out, you know. I And it's, you know, I, I can't help but say, you know, it's not because they can't try. It's because there are just some things that willpower alone it will never, ever fix. Especially, um, of course, sexuality is important. It's one of the reasons why so many uh, pagan traditions uh, honor sexuality specifically. Mm-hmm. When something's tied into uh, your sexual motivation system and it's something that helps you to feel powerful when you feel powerless, that's an awfully strong set of reinforcers. We also uh, have reason to believe that uh, perpetrators typically lack empathy for uh, children, especially for children uh, that they're involved with. They sometimes lack empathy for other people across the board. There's a tendency to objectify uh, all of their uh, sexual interests, um, and all of those things are correlated both with uh, the tendency to abuse and the tendency to reabuse, to reoffend. It's uh, addictive, uh, and it is your right. Willpower alone isn't going to fix it. It takes a lot of uh, careful work to rebuild somebody's personality, rebuild somebody's whole motivational system, uh, so that you can depend on their not reoffending. And the people who are best in the business are not making tall claims for. Uh, 100% success rates, cure rates, any more than substance abuse treatment programs do. What we can do is we can make things safer. Uh, There's no guarantees. Safer, which I know nobody wants to hear. Everybody wants uh, a guarantee, and uh, I don't blame anybody. We just don't have any right now. I think that's that's what I get as I review uh, the literature, the research that's out there right now. We, We don't have the magic pill. We don't have the magic pill, so how can we set up communities that are safer, not perfectly safe, but safer and more supportive? And part of it, I think, is recognizing that it's never going to be the victim's fault. It's not about the victim. We can be supportive of that, uh, and in order to do that, we're going to have to get over our illusions that we can always spot somebody who's going to be dangerous uh, and that victims have to fit kind of a a narrow little picture of who can be a victim. Uh, The main reason that kids get selected uh, for victimization is that they're vulnerable, but isn't that in some ways the definition of being a child or a teenager? I think there's a tendency that uh, abusers have to see teenagers as uh, more competent than they really are, but I remember myself at 18, and I just about had the sense to come in out of the rain. No way I was on a level playing field with uh, an adult male. I, I just I yeah. didn't have the resources or the knowledge of how the world works. I would have been I would have been a very easy mark. I'm lucky that I never uh, was was picked out for that. But mm-hmm. I think we don't like to think about it. But kids are vulnerable because they're kids. That said, perpetrators do look for uh, kids who are especially vulnerable. And if we think about that, again, we can build some more safety into our communities. 
gatherings, mm-hmm. for example. I think it's great that we have gatherings now that are large enough that we've got children's programming. Let's make sure we always have two or more adults uh, supervising kids. Anytime that there's uh, kids programming, have at least two adults so you don't have uh, a single, potentially a perpetrator with access to kids. Uh, Perpetrators are drawn to opportunities to offend. So let's close the door on that opportunity by opening the door to where the kids are getting together uh, and making sure that uh, there's always always company. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, some of the things that... um people tell you to do about um, interviewing uh, ch- potential child care providers are things that you can apply to um, the way that you approach children's activities, you know, when you leave your kids at these activities. And most specifically, I'm thinking of the advice that if you have the opportunity, drop in unannounced. Just drop and in I, unannounced. Honestly, my favorite uh, gathering, the gathering that I go to most often, uh, the kids' programs happen in uh, a space where people are coming and going all the time. Mm-hmm. So everybody's dropping in unannounced, which makes right. everybody feel great. I mean, you watch a bunch of kids having a good, good time, you're going to have a good time. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it makes it that much safer. But, yeah, uh, parents have got to have access. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's a mistake for us to do Corey checks uh, for uh criminal background checks for people who are working uh, in in kids' programming. But I would say it's a mistake for us to think that that fixes something. It's really important to remember that Corey checks will only pick up uh, the the things that people have been uh, picked up for and that Mm -hmm. a lot of abuse, the majority of abuse, doesn't get reported. And also... Uh, They're state-specific. Since we come from all over the country to get together for the large gatherings, that's not necessarily really helpful. If someone uh, has uh, committed a crime, uh, a sexual offense against a child in New Hampshire, and you run uh, a Cory check in Massachusetts, they're not going to turn up. So that's something that we need to keep in mind. There's limits to that kind of system, too. Mm -hmm. Some common-sense things, like just making sure that you always have parents having access, uh, it's it's good for just kind of casual observation, more than one person watching kids. Those are actually pretty helpful, uh, good things to do. And uh, then uh, it's really important, I think, that everybody who works for a gathering, everybody who uh, is part of ongoing uh, pagan community on a local level who, who's in a leadership position has uh, – mandated reporter training. It really is our job to report Mm -hmm. not just confirmed childhood sexual abuse, but suspected childhood sexual physical abuse or or child neglect. And the the level is suspicion. It's not that we've got certain proof. We're not the the ones who have the training uh, to be sure of that. So we got to pick up the phone and and make those calls. Mm -hmm. And that means that if somebody makes a complaint against somebody... You do something about it. Well, again, we're talking about uh, children, right? Uh, right. And uh, it, it is important that if if we're talking about this, we're not talking about uh, general and vague uh, kinds of uh, rumors that mm-hmm. nobody will attach their name to or I thought I saw something really suspicious three years ago. I don't right. know who the person was. Or, but when, when somebody was there, 
and they witnessed something or they were themselves the victim of something uh, and they're a minor, yeah, that's exactly mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you know, maybe it would it would help if people instead of thinking that um they were criminalizing the 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 accused by making these reports. No, you're passing that information on to somebody who is better trained to make that decision. What I think sometimes we do and it doesn't serve anybody well is we sort of act like unofficial fact-finding courts, and we're, mm-hmm. we're really not set up for it. Um, we don't do justice to, uh, to the accused, and we can interfere with victims getting justice, too. Uh, if, if we try to do the fact-finding on a local level, we can actually wind up uh, contaminating evidence uh, through uh, poor questioning, for example, of, of a child witness in a way that makes it impossible to get justice for that child down the road. So it's really important that we hand this off to the people who are trained. I know that our community is sometimes reluctant to do that, especially uh, I think there's a lot of recognition of the satanic panics in the 1980s that uh, being pagan kind of automatically made you suspect uh, in Mm -hmm. the minds of some poorly trained uh, social workers and uh, law enforcement folks. It's not that it's perfect, but it's improved greatly since that time. Mm -hmm. Interviewing techniques and and procedures have gotten tighter, have gotten better. These are the guys who've got the training. We are not the ones who have that training, and we really do need to let professionals do their jobs. If they don't do their jobs right, we need to advocate for them to do their jobs better, but we can't Mm -hmm. duplicate what what they do. We don't have the resources. We don't have, have the training. Right. But what we do have is other resources. And the two that I'm specifically thinking of is um, Lady Liberty League and the Officers of Avalon. Oh, right, yeah. Both of those, right. And both of them would, I'm sure, be more than happy to help event organizers come up with essentially an, an operating procedure for reporting these things. These are the questions you should ask. These are the questions you should just leave for the police. This is the information you need to gather. You know, that kind of stuff. If, if you know, organizers would be willing to, to get those, you know, just have some packets or something where, you know, this is what you do when, when somebody makes a complaint like this. This is how you treat the people. This is how, you know, you deal with the situation. This, you know, this, this, and this. And I'd also really like to encourage people to seek out uh, training through uh, organizations like Cherry Hill Seminary. You don't mm-hmm. necessarily have to be planning on going all the way for uh, their their full credential program for uh, the MDiv, but uh, the Boundaries and Ethics course is going to look at things like mandated reporter training. Uh, they're going to look at the ethics around that and the, the reasoning behind that. It's also possible for a group to approach Child Protective Services in your area and say, you know, we've got an organization, we understand, we're supposed to be mandated reporters. Could you guys point us towards some training, how we can interact with you and how this system mm-hmm. works? Uh, I know I've been to, uh, in my own state, I've been to trainings that uh, have been workshops led by uh, members of 
the, the local child protective services. And it really has been very helpful to me to have a better sense of what they're looking for and how they go about their business. So mm-hmm. it won't be something that uh, is possible for everybody, but it's something that certainly larger organizations can be looking into. And the idea of having at least one person in any large gathering, in any large event that has been trained and that can act as kind of an outreach person to the rest of the community, making sure that uh, people know where to turn if they suspect abuse, Uh, somebody Mm -hmm. who has a sense of how the system works. I I think that all by itself could be a really good reform. We've got a lot of uh, infrastructure that we're building uh, that protects our rights and is good for helping us to interact with uh, law enforcement. I'm, I know this is very strange coming out of a week where we've had such bad news, but I'm really optimistic about the mm-hmm. future of the pagan community because I think I see a resolve to deal with these issues that I know I didn't see 15 or 20 years ago. I can remember offering workshops on sexual abuse in the pagan community to two people who would show up, mm-hmm. turn up. And I'm willing to bet that more people are interested in learning more about it and learning how to prevent it uh, than there were in the past. That I find that really encouraging. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know, sometimes it, we, we need to, to take a lesson from the tower card we have to have a great disaster in order to build something even better. It's and really hard for everybody who's been affected, and I know that a lot of survivors uh, are hurting this week, that uh, their issues are up, that they're being triggered by the constant back and forth, all of the coverage mm-hmm. this has had. Um, i gotta, I got to believe that it's going to be worth that, that the noises that we're going to make, are going to actually lead to change. Uh, I, I'm, like I say, I'm really hopeful that that's true. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, it is about forty after, and you did say that you were going to need to leave soon. So, is that something that we need to consider? At this yeah, point? I think we do need to wrap up. I don't know if there's anything else that I can help you with. Um, okay. Um, actually, there there was a comment from one of our listeners, and you know maybe you would like to address that comment. Um, sure. He says, uh, does it occur to people that the, the quote-unquote nice things like shelters and food pantries are in fact the perpetrator's way of compensating for what they know is a wrongdoing? Boy, I bet there's uh, some truth to that. I really do. Uh, and um, I did not know this man well enough, and I was not part of his training, uh, or rather his, his treatment. So I can't say whether they addressed that. But I, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I think I think he's probably right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on our show and giving your perspective on this. Um, Just are... one last one oh, last word before I sign off, if you don't mind. Uh, I'm really aware uh, that. Because it's true any time you're speaking on any subject, but especially if we're speaking on this subject, I am sure that some of the people who are listening to this show tonight are themselves survivors. And Mm -hmm. uh, to the survivors in the audience, I would just like to say I wish you every success with your healing, and I am so sorry 
that we are stirring up those issues tonight. Whatever wisdom I have on the subject of healing from child sexual abuse, I learned from men and women who are doing it, uh, and I just I really honor the strength uh, and the courage of the people who are working on their healing. I just needed to say that. Here, here. That that is. Thank you very so much. True. I Thanks appreciate the chance to, and have a good night. You too. Thank you. All right. Um, before we get started into the remainder of our show, I am I going am to uh, play a piece of music so that we can take our deep breaths because, you know, as Kat said, this can be very difficult for a lot of us. So um, I am going to play uh, this one is called Firebird's Child from Solace and Sorrow by S.J. Tucker. I am the firebird, I am his daughter, I am the firebird child, I am the firebird, I am his daughter, and like the flame I am wild, 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 I am the firebird, I am his daughter.
Okay, that was quite the inspirational song by S.J. Tucker. Again, Firebird's Child from Solace and Sorrow. And uh, we just let go one guest and we're bringing on another. Um, this is Shauna Oranite, who apparently can't stay away from our show. <laughs> Uh, I, I kind of wish that, you know, we had a better um, reason for having you on so much, but... Uh, I was I was going to ask if I get a punch card. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you buy five drinks and you get the sixth free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, I, I, I too wish that my, my frequent visits of late were for better reasons, but, uh, uh, you know, it's it's... As you guys were already talking about earlier on the show, it's stuff that we need to talk about. It's not, uh, you know, it's not pleasant stuff, but it's stuff that does need to get talked about. Yep. Um, and and hopefully uh, Kat was absolutely correct in that um, as unfortunate as the topic is, this is going to bring some much needed change and um, even better structure in the pegging community to address these things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, not to, I mean, you guys were kind of, you pulled out the, the tarot nerdiness um, of, of the tower card, but I mean, you know, whenever we're working with an individual trying to transform something in their lives, almost, you know, most of the time people do not transform their own lives until something big and disastrous happens until, until they have a, a tower card kind of a moment. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, most people just don't, you know, people don't change their diet until they have the heart attack. Uh, You know, people don't change their life until they lose their job. You, You know, I mean, like it's the, it's the big things breaking apart that really do facilitate transformation. And, and that's what that, that tower card really is. If, I mean, if you can harness those energies and say, okay, this old structure is gone. It is crumbling. It is burning on the ground. We can build mm-hmm. a healthier structure out of that. Um, and I think, I think certainly that's on a communal level too. We have that opportunity. Um, doesn't mean it's pleasant. It doesn't mean it's, um, you know, any kind of a fun process, but it's, you know, that, that is what that energy can be used for. And, and I'm very much a proponent of, of looking at that. I mean, you know, I, I hate to put it as like, Oh, it's the silver lining because I mean, that kind of makes light of the, of the wounding of it. Um, but to say like, okay, this crappy thing happened and now we can do something positive with it. So um, mm-hmm. I'm very much with, with you guys on that. Yeah. Well, I, I, as unpopular as he is, I'm a fan of Dr. Phil, not because I think he knows what he's talking about, but because he has all those cute little sayings, and (laughs) he does. You know, one of the things that he says is you don't do things unless it's working for you, so what, what is it doing for you that's working for you? And, you know, that's exactly it. We don't change things until they stop working for us. And whether that's, you know, biting our nails, going on a diet, or... Um, partaking of these addictive and abusive behaviors, mm-hmm. we don't stop doing it until it stops working for us. 
Right, right. Well, and that's that's one of the the definitions that I've heard of of addictive behavior is uh, it's it's something like doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. <laughs> Um, it, you know, and, and that's, I mean, with, with a lot of the different behavioral addictions, um, you know, that's, that's something where I know that people are trying to get a need met and, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not even talking about necessarily, I mean, it certainly scales up to the, the major addictions, but we can be talking about, you know, the, the addictions that are more socially acceptable, um, you know, smoking, for instance, um, or, you know, any, any number of different behaviors, but we're just, we're all, we're just trying to get a basic human need met and we keep trying to get that need met and it's not working. Um, and it, it's not until something major happens to change that, that we, we have to reevaluate our strategy for getting that need met and, uh, and go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I I hate to say it this way, but it to me, it's always been that when you have people who are uh, perpetrating these these kinds of actions, you know, they're like a dog that's been abused too much. You want to help them, but it's probably just going to hurt you. So your best bet is to simply turn them over to people who know better how to help them. You know, you can't protect right. them from from everything. You, in, unless you've been trained in this, you just don't have the skill set. Well, and and. You know, as as Kat was talking about earlier in the show, um, you know there 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 are treatment programs. Um, they aren't a magic wand. Of mm-hmm. yes, they're these people are healed. They also, you know, it's it's and I think it's it's pretty pretty clear. That, I mean, it's it's not going to work for a lot of these perpetrators mm-hmm. um, of, of specific types of abuses, and I think. One of the things is like it is it's so hard because like okay, so let's say we identify you know someone who is sexually abusing children at a gathering, or maybe it's it's something that is still not okay to have happen but isn't quite on that level of heinous um you know, maybe, you know, one of the things that I know in the science fiction and fantasy community, they've had a um, a massive upheaval of, of um, trying to instill patterns of uh, or uh, programs for, um, sorry, policies. That's the word, the word, I, word I'm looking for. Uh, policies for, um, um, an, you know, anti-harassment uh, because mm-hmm. they've had huge issues within the science fiction fantasy, within the tech field. Um, there have been just just a lot of of uh, harassment of women, and um, uh, well, people of all genders, but but women really you know stood up and said this is not okay, and uh, those communities have gone through a huge upheaval um, of, and and actually I just posted an article and and I'll send you the link to post 
post uh, after the show. Um, it was an amazing article that kind of detailed the stages that those communities went through for what to do as far as, as when uh, harassment has been identified and, and go through those. But I mean, so, you know, we've got, we've got those, the different things that happen. And then really there's, there's only, there's really only a few things that we can do. Um, You know, if there's, if there's, credible evidence and we're looking to actually prosecute like if we, we've got somebody who's a who's you know we, we're pretty sure is sexually abusing children we have some credible evidence uh, to, to that you know we have some eyewitnesses it doesn't seem like you know like you know we it's, it's credible we're just i'm not going to describe what credible looks like because that would be a whole show uh So we've got that. And then, you know, let's say we're like, okay, well, we want to go ahead and and maybe try and prosecute, you know, or we we want we want to we want we want to talk to the police about this, because if they can prosecute this, they can get this person through the legal system, then they can get help in a way that we can't provide. And then there's, you know, that's all that's all the process that we need to go through for this. Okay, well that's that's one thing we can do, but I mean it's it seems pretty clear at that point that that, that person is not going to be welcome at that gathering any longer. Mm-hmm. I mean I think that's pretty obvious. Um, but then you know really I mean there's there's the option of going through the legal system with whatever whatever comes up, and maybe there isn't enough evidence for you know we're like well okay this there's you know the police didn't listen to us or, or there, you know, there isn't enough evidence to go to the police, but we're really sure that this, that this breaks our, our anti-harassment policy. Mm-hmm. Really the only tool we have in our tool belt for the, for the most part to protect people in our groups. Um, once that harassment or abuse has been identified is kicking that person out of the community, out of the, out of that gathering, out of that community, out of, you know, whatever is going on with that. And, you know, what, that that person is just going to go and find another hunting ground, and that mm-hmm. you know, like I feel good on the one hand, like okay, we protected our community, but at the same time, it's like I they're not going to stop doing this, and yeah, it's it's, it's not like really frustrating, them. you know, that's yeah. really frustrating. It's not like we can we can mark them with like a bright orange mark across their hand or something that everybody knows, hey, wait a second, this person is, you know, they got kicked out for being creepy or, or doing something right. that really towed the line. You know, we, we can't do that to people. We don't have that. And and the thing is, ultimately, like, and, you know, and I, I wish this, and I hear this from so many people, like, I, I wish that there was a magic wand uh, to just, to, you know, to fix anybody who has any of these, these these problems that are that are causing damage to you know to a community. I wish you know I've I've been through it myself. I've been through it both personally and I've been through it with you know having to identify people in my own community um, who needed to not be in my community. And you know I wish, and I have worked with these folks. I have worked with some of them for years making space for like, okay, well, you know, you're getting a handle on your stuff. Oh, you just need to keep working on, you know, and it, and it doesn't, I mean, it's, 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 you know, and I've learned, I've gone through the process of learning, like this over here is way beyond my pay grade, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. 
this is not something I can, I can help somebody with. And, uh, you know, and that, so I guess that's, for me, that's a frustration is like, on the one hand, it was really great to hear from, from Kat, um, you know, who has so much experience in the field that there are, there are things that can, that can work to make it better. Um, Mm -hmm. That was really great to hear. And I personally, I'm going to be, because Kat and I have, have talked a few times on, on Facebook and we're going to, one of these days we're going to have to actually do a show together when we're on at the same time, because we've been wanting to meet and talk for a while on uh, various issues of pagan leadership. But um, it was great to hear that there are things that, that can help for some of these. Um, But the, but I mean, I think what she pointed out very clearly was it's to help. It's to make it better. It is not a cure. Um, and that's, you know, that's the hard part. That's really, really the hard part is that, you know, what do you do as a community when you've got this? Because really, once you've identified somebody, the only, you know, when, if, if somebody's behavior is at a certain point, the only thing you can, you can do other than working with the legal system, um, you know, is, is keep your own community safe and, and, and get that person out of your community. But, you know, that's definitely not, it's not a, it's not the perfect solution for society, but it's what we have for our own gatherings. And I think, um, I think it's at least useful from one perspective because the pagan community is actually such a, I, I really hate to put it this way, but I, I think it's accurate. We're such a, a, a perfect hunting ground for predators because we are so disorganized and because depending on the festival and the event, um, you know, there, there may be lots and lots and lots of opportunities for these predators. Um, you know, some festivals do an amazing job. They have, you know, they have, you know, the two teachers, you know, two, two people on duty at every, at any time. Um, they have people around keeping other people safe. You know, there, some festivals do a fantastic job of that. And some festivals do not do such a fantastic job. Um, but, you know, it's just the, 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 we have small, small community itis, as it were, or small world itis. And, uh, you know, sometimes that can actually make it really easy for someone. Obviously, you know, as, as, as best we understand now, you know, it looks like Kenny Klein was getting away with this for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think that's really important is that we start we we do start to identify those policies for festivals for like what is what is appropriate behavior and what is not appropriate behavior and if you are experiencing or witnessing inappropriate behavior here's the process you go through um you know i think all of that is really really important because um you know we there's that's that's really the only way we're going to shift gears from the the kind of perception that anybody who's complaining about someone is is just it's just the rumor mill it's just sour grapes it's just a you know oh that's just a teenager making it up you know we have to have those policies and and like I, i was talking about with kat you know it's not our place to make those determinations you know i and as someone who has organized a festival 
or a, a gathering or, you know, something similar, you, you understand this. You can have a lot of mad skills that get that organization, that festival, that, that thing going, but that doesn't make you an expert on everything. And this is something that's really best left up to the experts. So, you know, I mean, I, I fully support if there is any complaints whatsoever, you know, you need to file paperwork. You need to to see if they want to get the police involved. You know, make those options available to these people. Right. I mean, and I, and I think it really depends on – how do I put this? I think it depends on the event and mm-hmm. the specific focus of the event, and I think it also depends – it depends on, on, you know, what's being specified. You know, I was bringing up the science fiction fantasy community and, the you know, the sexual harassment that goes on. Um, I think in those cases, I'd, I'd have to do a little bit more digging. But I think in general, they aren't looking at prosecuting uh, people for that sexual harassment. I think they're just looking at kicking them out of the event and banning them from those events. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, from that perspective... Um, it it is incumbent on there is somebody who has to make a decision. Yes, this happened or no, this didn't. Um, right. You know what I mean? Like so. I mean, I, I do think that as event organizers, there is still or or community organizers. You know, you're running a coven, you're running a circle or a grove or um, you know whatever. You know, maybe you're running a pagan pride, whatever it is that you're doing. Um, you know, there's there's a number of different things that people might do that might be against the agreements of, of what is acceptable to do. And some of those things may not be illegal. Uh, I know for instance, like, yeah, it, um, how do I, I, I don't know that I have, I don't know that I'm permitted to actually share the specifics of this. So I'll see if I can make it vague. So there is a pagan pride organizer that I know, and there is a prominent pagan leader in that community who is also a vendor mm-hmm. and said prominent pagan leader who has been around forever and ever and ever uh, did something so offensive. Like he, he was being so offensive toward the pagan pride organizer and, uh, and, the, and this pagan pride organizer is the, like the nicest person on the planet. Like, you know, and and he so offended this this pagan pride organizer, and um, was not making was not winning his case. So he contacted the park district site where the pagan pride is hosted to complain about the pagan pride organizer. When this got back to the pagan pride organizer, the organizer contacted. Uh, their own superiors within the pagan pride organization and said, do I have to keep letting this person vend here? Because this has really been abusive and pagan pride that their, their superiors there said, no, you don't have to keep letting him vend there. Um, You know, is what this person did illegal in any way? No, but it went, it went beyond the bounds of what that organizer should have to deal with. And I think, you know, when we're talking about event policies for, um, for behavior, I I think that is something that's within the spectrum of, of things, you know, it's, again, it's, I mean, obviously that's not something I'm going to call the cops on this person for, but as an event organizer, I don't have to put up 
with that behavior. And, and if I've outlined that in my, in my agreements um, for, you know, what behavior is appropriate and what isn't, then, you know, then it's like, no, right, right here, you know, it, that that's, that's inappropriate behavior as far as, as um, you know, things, if, if you're doing that, you're not going to be one of my vendors or one of my teachers, you know? So, I mean, we're talking about a spectrum of, of things. And, and ultimately if you are an event coordinator, there's a lot of things you're going to have to make about that that aren't necessarily about prosecuting you know getting you know getting somebody to uh, you know passing along the information to the police so they can they might get arrested and prosecuted if you're talking about somebody who shows up at your event drunk not illegal but you know like my events are, are dry uh, with very few exceptions and so I mean if somebody shows up drunk I'm I'm booting them out and mm-hmm. um, you know that's just policy so, you know, I mean, I think, I think one of the things in the pagan community that, that I witness, uh, pagans are not, there's, there's, there's really two kinds of pagan leaders that I see. Most pagan leaders want to help fix the person. And t- I totally resonate with this because that used to be me. Um, I used to be that person. And they want to be able to fix the person. They want to make space for them to learn and grow. And I actually, I talked to a group leader the other day. Uh, actually, it was more like a couple of weeks ago now that I think about it. And she said, you know, she said, well, you know, I've got this problem. And um, I've had this, this member of my group and it's a women's group. And this person is, you know, they they're bipolar. They've mentioned to me that they're bipolar. Like I, you know, I know, I, you know, they, they've shared that with me. So I know that that's what's going on with them. And, you know, every once in a while they go off their meds and they, they do some really offensive stuff and a few group leave and then they get better and they get help and they, they get back on their meds. And, but then it happens again and people leave. And I said, well, how long has this been going on? She said, Oh, 10 years. Oh, yeah, and, and I and I said, well, how many people do you estimate have left your group because of this behavior? And she said, oh, it has to be at least a dozen. And what she wanted to hear from me, and and I empathize with this so much. What she wanted to hear from me is, how can I fix this person so that they can continue to get spiritual connection? Um, you know, from this group, because I know that it, that it helps them. And I, I said, I don't, I, I said, I think this person's above your pay grade. Um, I said, you know, if you want to, if you want to continue to do spiritual work with them one-on-one, that's your call. But I said, you know, your responsibility is to your group and what you're essentially saying with what you're doing here is that it's one person is worth more than those 12 people who left. Mm-hmm. And the twelve people who will leave in the future, and um, you know, and 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 oh my gosh, do I hate having to put it that way? But well, it's you know, hard having it, to having to face that. You know, it, yeah. it's hard having that situation even exist. Yeah, and I mean, and what I, I experience is there's most pagan leaders tend to lean more on that side where they want to make space for somebody to get better, to, you know, to, to keep, keep at it. 
And, uh, and people will keep leaving the group until there's nothing left of that group. And I've seen that happen over and over and over. And then at the same time, there, there's, there's folks on the other end of the spectrum where if you do any one little thing wrong, they will kick you to the curb. <laughs> you are out of the group, out of their face. And, um, you know, I, I tend to, for most things, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm obviously not talking about clear, uh, you know, you know, like, like abuse of children or, or something really, really right. obvious like that. But, you know, I'm talking about like general behavioral, like, oh, okay, that was kind of not okay. Um, but let's talk about that. Like, I tend to be kind of a three strikes person. Um, and, you know, with three strikes, you can kind of figure out if somebody is just not going to be able to change their behavior, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, I, I do my best, I give it a shot. And, um, you know, three strikes is, is kind of enough for, you know, I, I can kind of tell within the scope of that if somebody's going to be, be right. able to, to, to process through and, and, and shift what they're doing. Um, you know, but then, but again, with, with three strikes kind of stuff, we're talking about stuff that's not, um, I would say, inherently abusive or damaging. Right. So, yeah. More like so, the, I mean, the annoyances and irksomenesses and and slight discomforts. I would say like it, it can go up to moderately creepy, and and what I mean by that is like there are people that I've had in in my in groups that I've worked with where people tell me like, oh, that person's creepy. I'm like, well, what is it that they're doing that's creepy? And, you know, some of them I notice like, oh, they just have no understanding of body language. You know, they, for whatever reason, um, or they're saying inappropriate things and they don't seem to understand they're saying inappropriate things. Those are potentially things where it might come across really creepy, but I can maybe go, work with that person a little bit and, uh, you know, and talk to them and say, Hey, so here's the behavior that you are engaging in. Um, and here's the impact of that behavior. Is that the impact you want to have? Probably not. Okay. So let's talk about some ways you can address that. And, uh, you know, I've had, I've had some success there. Um, in one case, it, it ended up just being the guy was able to kind of masquerade for longer. And then it did turn out that he was physically abusing his partner and, and, you know, all all this stuff where it was like, you know, you are, I cannot help you. (laughs) You, you know, you, you need to go get help on your own. And, and, you know, if you want a little help getting that help, I, you know, I'm certainly willing to do my part of that. But as far as, as getting group stuff that you're welcome to no. That's no longer an option there. Um, I mean, and and I wish I wish that the additional resources, particularly along the lines of, of mental health and pastoral counseling, um, to offer more resources for folks like that. Um, you know, I mean, I'd I'd actually, and this is another thing where I'd I'd like to check in with with cat is to find out like because she was talking about like there are really really specific programs for people as far as the child sexual abuse stuff and the pedophilia goes um you know i i'd like to find out what more of what resources there are for that like like how 
how does someone get into one of those programs to get to get help? Mm-hmm. Because um, I don't know about you, but I sure as heck would rather see somebody going into a program like that when they when they just first identify like, oh, I've I've got a I've got a problem here. I haven't acted on it, but you know I'm having these feelings. Well, you know, I'd rather I'd love to help get them into a, a place like that where they can actually get help uh, mm-hmm. before they do anything. You know, right. and just and I wish for that magic wand. I do. You know the the the, the, the magic the, pill that would make everybody better. Yeah. Well, you know, and the and the thing is, is is, uh, and I think uh, on Thorn Coyle's blog post about the whole the whole Kenny Klein thing, she brought up two specific cases um, of people that she's dealt with. Uh, as far as abusive situations go. Um, and I want to, I, I, I can't remember if it was in the blog post or if it was in one of the, I think there's like like 200 comments on the blog post now. So it's just like a lot of comments um, and wor- worth the read, worth reading every one of them to understand this issue and all of its complexity. But um, the, uh, one of the, one of the things that she said was, you know, that, that, you know, when we're talking about a pedophile, we're talking about a sickness, you know, we're talking about mental illness. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just the way, you know, for some folks, it's just the way their brain is wired in. And, oh my gosh, what a curse is that? You know, what, like you are not, nothing you did made this happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, this is the way you were, you were born and this is the way you were wired. And, what a, what a, what a, you know, nobody asks for that. Nobody wants that. And that, that is especially why I really want that magic wand is because I mean, who, man, you know, I just, I can't even imagine you're born with this. You're born this way. Your brain chemistry is screwed up and, you know, and there's no way to fix it. And maybe there will be someday, and I really hope that there will be someday. I really do. But there isn't at the moment. There's, as Kat put it, there's ways to help, uh, help make it safer, but there's mm-hmm. no cures. Yep. But, um, okay, well, we we do have a pretty large topic that I'm hoping we can address everything this week, but uh, we only have 45 minutes left, so... Um, Actually, I would like to move on to a very brief explanation of the situation with the Frosts and the Florida Pagan Gathering, which I understand is more or less resolved, although the resolution... More more or less is what I understand, yeah. Yeah. Um, So essentially what happened was um, the Frosts in the 70s published this book, the Witch's Bible since republished as the Good Witch's Bible, I believe. Yes. And um, in this, they have an an initiation ritual. And um, I, I'm going to give everybody a really great big warning right now. We are going to get probably a little too graphic for most people who have triggers regarding this. So um, you may want to seriously reconsider progressing with the show if this will be an issue. So um, 
and this is a quote from uh, robjo.wordpress.com, and the post is The Frosts, Pedophiles in Our Midst, from 2011. And um, it says, prior to the ritual, at the youngest age possible, boys will have their penises circumcised and girls will have their hymen broken, either surgically or at home by their mothers. The girls are given two wooden phalluses and instructions on how to use them in order to prepare their vaginas for sexual or intercourse over a period of one month. It is stated that they should be helped with their father or sponsor if they have any pain or difficulty. Um, the ritual itself is preceded by a three-day fast by the, the recently um, of age, well, I, I won't say of age, the, the, the child who's recently reached puberty, because it is very specific. These are, these are people who have just reached puberty, so we're talking like maybe 13 years old and on average. So the, this, this child goes out on a three-day fast, eating only bread, honey, and water. During that time, they're shown demonstrations of people having sex. The ritual begins with some talk, and then the child is given a full glass of mead, that is alcohol, to drink, um, disrobes, dances naked with their sponsor, who is previously specified as a person who has just the, the opposite sex person of most recent initiation, with the exception of if there's too large an age gap, they can change that. So potentially another 13-year-old putting that out there. Um, after that, the child and the sponsor leave the circle area and have sex with each other. That is the initiation. Um, some quotes from the actual chapter that was written. It is hoped that it is hoped by Wicca that the first full sexual experience will take place in the pleasant surroundings of the coven and that the spiritual as well as the physical aspects of the, the experience will lead the child to a complete life. Um, I'm going to leave the rest for uh, other people's perusal. Um, a bunch of people got upset about this for some unknown reason. That was sarcasm, by the way. A bunch of people signed some petitions. Um, there was some Facebook groups created to address this and to protest the presence of the Frosts at the Florida Pegging Gathering as presenters. Um, the officers of Avalon got behind this and put out several statements. Um, and then an unknown person uh, actually went to the host facility for the Florida Pagan group and dropped the ball that, you know, this essentially stating that the Florida Pagans were embracing sex with children advocates was the quoted statement on the Wild Hunt as of that looks like today's wild hunt. Let me double check that. Um, yes, April 6, 2014. Today. Yes, the Florida Pegging Gathering a Community in Crisis is the title of that by Heather Green. Um, so this anonymous person stated this to the host facility, a non-pagan group, by the way, that um, kind of uh, puts a bad light on Florida Pagans in general, but because of this, um, the Florida Pagan Gathering felt they had no choice but to uh, remove the Frosts from their lineup. Um, 
the uh, Facebook group that was behind a, a good deal of the protests called Pagans for Change uh, stressed that this anonymous person was not one of them, nor was um, nor was this done with their blessing, as the approach was damaging to the entire community. And uh, so, you know, it's resolved-ish because it's kind of like um, people's hands were forced. It wasn't really resolved in a very pleasant manner. But uh, so as of now, the frosts will not be uh, uh, presenting at the Florida Pegging Gathering. And several people who um, pulled their support from the Florida Pegging Gathering and refused to participate uh, as of this posting, uh, several of them have agreed to participate in the Florida Pegging Gathering now that the frosts are not there. So, wow. Do you have any comments on that, Shauna? <laughs> well, I mean, it's how do I put this? Here's here's my issue with how it was handled. Is like first, I I I really don't understand the people who defend the frosts. I I, I don't. I really don't. I mean the. Thorn Coyle wrote three, a series of three blog posts um, years ago about the Frosts and her dealings with them, and uh, and she reposted them on her main blog just a few days ago. So if you want to see those, those are those are there, and they're a really good resource. And I mean, pointed out a lot of what um, what has been, uh, you know, what what you guys, what what I think Kat was saying at the beginning is that like. You know, like in Kat's case, she was talking about this minister who had done all this really good stuff, um, and and yet this person was also, uh, you know, engaging in sexual abuse, and people couldn't wrap their brains around that. In the Frost's case, as best I as best I understand it, uh, it is it is. It is not in question. They, they are, nobody is saying that they have engaged in sexual abuse of children. Nobody is saying right. that. Um, it's specifically just that passage that you read, and, and then there's you know there's a longer mm-hmm. piece to it, but um, it's specifically that they that they wrote that a that they wrote it, b that get, that uh, you know that over the decades they've been given many, many opportunities to explain it and to recant it and to say, no, this is not okay. And they have not done that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't, I, I get from one perspective, like the, the people who have met them said, you know, these are sweet old people. These are, these are folks that, you know, were doing good work and they've been teaching people selflessly and all this, you know, and I get that, and I'm not saying that that's not true. Um, the problem, the problem is in this this thing that they wrote, and that I I just don't even have words for how uh, heinous that sounds. <laughs> like I just can't imagine doing that to a ten year old or an eleven year old because you know let's face it, a lot of girls are having their periods earlier. 
Um, it's act, and it's it's there. There's some theories that it's weight based. That once girls reach a certain weight, is when they begin their menstrual cycle. Yeah. There's there's um, weight. There's uh, GMOs. There's chemicals. There's um, right. the structure of the family in modern time. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of theories right. nobody knows. I know I know at least one person who started when she was nine. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I started pretty much my thirteenth birthday, roughly. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's about the age where it's pretty common. Some people don't start until they're 15 or 16. Anyways, you know, if we're talking, we're talking under 13, like Mm -hmm. that is not okay. Like the, like what the, what they have described sounds like, it sounds like, like a culty, crazy thing. I mean, it just, it, I just, when I read that for the first time, my jaw was dropped open. My jaw is still dropped open from, I just, I cannot fathom writing that and, and, and telling people that like, the, in what world is that a good idea? I actually, you no, know, okay. I just, I don't I, see I, it as I any can, question. I, I, I can cover this for you. Um, <laughs> Go for it. In a world where sexuality does not have negative connotations. In a world where being sexually active upon puberty is expected, essentially what we're talking about is like primitive pre-agricultural type societies. In those kinds of worlds, a controlled... um, Positive experience, initiation into sex is a good idea in those situations. I cannot stress that enough. The problem is, in the modern world, we do have negative connotations with being sexually active. We do have negative consequences of being sexually active. And there is nobody in their right mind that thinks that a 13-year-old is ready to start raising a family which is right. part of those consequences. So it just it doesn't even fit into the modern world. So what they're doing is they're applying this idealized concept of a primitive other society to the pagan community, which while I can see where they're coming from, it causes such a huge face palm that I'm going to have bruises on my forehead for a week. It's just right. ridiculous. Right. Well, and and I think you 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 I think you hit the nail on the head that this is this is looking at a situation that may have been appropriate like not even 30 years ago, maybe 100 years ago. I don't know. I mean, I I can't like speak to that, but I mean that's <laughs> a thousand years. Well, I mean, you know, certainly women uh I you know, I I know reading um what was it the uh I think it was the the other Boleyn girl um you know reading about um you know the um the you know the elizabethan pre elizabethan england um they're, they're you know they're they're talking about you know that that girls would get married as young as thirteen and mm-hmm. and that was that was pretty common um i think you know, I think if we're talking about like World War One, World War Two era, you still saw pretty commonly women getting married seventeen, eighteen. 
And um, but you're not going to have to explain to your your class why you got married. You know, in right. in, in today's society, you have a 13 year old getting married or becoming sexually active, and everybody's eyebrows climb up. There's nobody supporting right. that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think I mean. It, so I mean, so getting getting back to the issue of what happened at at Florida Pagan Gathering with this is is like, I I mean I think it's I don't know when when I read that that passage I think it's really obvious that this is this is way inappropriate and I mean about like if a if a modern day coven tried to do this with their younger than this is legal it's wrong. It's not. It's this. This would not be okay to do, and um, I think I think that it's absolutely within a festival's um, in their in their book. I think it is absolutely within a festival. <laughs> we can't have you present at our festival because you are espousing is is uh is, is inappropriate but what happened with florida pain gap it seems to have happened with with it is that people complain about it in the festival it's outlined on the it's not to be the journalistically accurate um but basically he found out that the frosts were going to be uh, some, you know, somebody on the Florida Pagan Gather board, and they said that's okay. And the board said, "Well, that's what we're going with." So we got out of the plane, and the board said, "Well, we're we're going to do it the way we want to do it." And we're complaining on their Facebook group, and comments were getting deleted. And so the voices got louder, and they said, "Hey, this is really not okay." And people resigned from the Florida Pagan Gathering Board, and and still the board said, "This, you know, we're we're not going to change what's going on." And it wasn't until someone went over the board's head and talked to the, the campground that um, anything finally changed. And now, and you know, and I saw the board's the Florida Pagan Gathering board's comments and where they, they basically said, well, you know, we're, we're not going to be hosting the Frosts uh, for their safety at this point because of the campground and blah, 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 and all this. And, and uh, basically, like, getting mad at the activists for having spoken up and, and mm-hmm. kind of peeling the, the carrot finger, you know, just kind of shaming the – um, the the activists who stood up as like you you ruined our party, and right. you know I I really you know I have to say I'm an event organizer and I can be super stubborn about some things, but it, so I get I get stubborn event planneritis I really do I have a lot of sympathy for it because face it when you're planning pagan events. <laughs> You know, you're stuck with a lot of work, and and one of the few perks that you get sometimes is that you get to do a cool thing that you want to do. Mm-hmm. So just put it out there. Uh, but I feel that they really didn't handle this well. And and you know, if you've got people complaining about something like that, 
you've got to listen to your people. You've got to listen. You've got to listen to what's being brought up and you can't just brush it under the carpet because when you do that, then those activist voices are just going to get louder and louder and louder. And then you're going to get mad because they didn't, they didn't leave it alone. It's like, well, of course, of course they didn't leave it alone. This is, this was not okay. This is not an okay thing. And it's not to say um, that activists always handle themselves well because we don't, (laughs) you know, when, when someone gets, really upset about something and, and it's, they, and it holds a lot of meaning for them. They sometimes are going to do things that are maybe outside of the realm of politeness or, you know, in this case, they, you know, somebody went and talked directly to the campground and that potentially damages the whole community's relationship with that campground. So that's not, mm-hmm. that's not a really good thing to do. Um, but at the same time, I get, I get where they're coming from as an activist because it's like, okay, you're not being heard. You're not being heard. You're not being heard. What are you going to do? So, yeah. So that's, that's basically what, what happened. And I mean, what I would like to see from this is, is um, I'd like to see more festival organizers respond, a, a be more responsible with who they hire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just one part, but I mean, also just being more responsive and you know, instead of digging in your heels of why your your choice of of uh, presenters was the best choice, and and that you're going to stick with that, and you know, screw what everybody else says, um, you know, actually actually responding to what people bring up. And again, as an as an event organizer, I have so much compassion for for what any event organizer goes through because it's mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot of work, but it wasn't they didn't handle it well. I didn't, right. I didn't think they handled it well. Yeah. Well, um, I, I'm just going to warn our listeners now. Uh, we are going to be starting uh, – I'm, I'm tangenting the topic to our, our third big topic of the evening, which is consent. And um, we may end up going through to uh, recorded archives. Uh, we, we are live until 9 o'clock and anything after that will be recorded and archived and will be available at, I believe it's 9 o'clock Central Standard Time is when the the full episode will be available for people to listen to. So um, stick with us and and we'll see how far we get. Woohoo! But um, essentially, in learning about the Frosts, and learning about all of this background, because honestly, I, I started hearing about the frost, the frost, the frost, and I went, who are they? Because, you know, apparently I, will, I, I know all of the big pagans right now. I was like, who are they? <laughs> Never heard of them. Why do we care about them? <laughs> okay. So, you know, I, I've, I've been catching up quite a bit on, on this week and trying to figure out who they are and why we should care. And... I, I got done reading this um, this summary of this ritual that they had in their book, and that they republished and that they've supported for, you know, years. And I looked at Stormy, my significant other, and I said to him, "Wait a second, sexual initiation is still a thing." 
And the reason I said that was because, to me, I, I, I'm just I'm I'm on my knees begging for somebody to give me a situation where sexual initiation does not involve coercion or duress or pressure or anything else that turns it from a positive sexual experience into rape. Right. I don't understand this. You're saying that I cannot be a part of your organization unless I have sex with somebody, probably not of my choice. Why is this okay? Well, you know, I'm going to go ahead and quote somebody who quoted Thorne Coyle, so who who knows how accurate the quote is, but it sounds like something she would say. Uh, Something like, sex magic loses all of its power when there's no consent. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was so very poignant and uh, and concise. I always admire people who can speak concisely. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just going to interrupt. We do have um, our... Longtime listener and friend Arthur on the line. He has quite a bit of experience and knowledge about the concept of consent. So he, he's going to be joining us for for this portion of the conversation. Cool. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so I wouldn't say I have a lot of knowledge with consent. More yes, uh, what happens when it's not. Accept it, or when when someone assumes consent that hasn't been actually given. Mm-hmm. Slight different inferences there. Right, and um, you know, like I said, if if you're giving, if you're saying yes to a sexual experience, but it's under duress. If you're saying yes to a sexual experience because you feel that participating in this sexual activity is going to be better then the alternative, that is not consent. Yeah. Actually, um, there are a couple of different ways of looking at this. Uh, first off, you one thing is it's not just sex that people have to consent to. It's any shared experience. Yeah, we think of sex and consent all the time because we think rape, we think sexual molestation, we think child sexual abuse. But any time that you have an activity where a person has to choose to do it, it's consent. Mm-hmm. There is a consent. Um, so if, for example, if someone is doing a ritual that some part of it makes one of the participants uncomfortable person can withdraw his or her consent and leave or say I'm sorry this bothers me this is why please stop please stop including me we don't tend to think of that Uh, to back up just a tiny bit what is consent Um, one person I've one definition I've encountered, consent is not simply the absence of a no. It is the existence of an enthusiastic yes. And a yes that is not obtained by being bullied, by being forced, by being said, you do this or we exclude. 
exclude, do this, or we will whisper about you. We will, you know, something. Uh, consent is an enthusiastic, positive yes. If mm-hmm. it's any, if it's not, then you have done something against someone's consent. So the person can be totally stone cold sober, totally in command of his or her, their faculties and still have consent taken from them. Mm-hmm. What is this consent? It's something that is not coerced. If there's cajoling, if there's threatening, if you have to convince someone to do this, and the person keeps saying, no, I feel uncomfortable, and you keep pushing, then you violated consent. It's not fixed. Whether it's sexual or not, if a person said yes one time, And then a day later, a week later, a month later, says no. The no stands. Consent has to be continually reaffirmed. It cannot be assumed one-off. This has caused a lot of problems in marriage because a lot of people assume that once the marriage vows are given, the I do, eternal consent by the husband for the sexual favors of the wife. To use a very blunt example, it's not. This has been established all the way up to the Supreme Court. Consent is not for life. It has to be negotiated constantly with each new event, each new encounter. It has to be conscious. If you are not fully in charge of your faculties, then consent cannot be given. So if a person is drunk, drugged, overly tired, if they've had a seriously bad shakeup because of a a near miss with a car accident or an actual car accident, the person is not of right mind. Consent cannot be given. It has to be unambiguous. It has to be explicit. Maybe is not yes. I'm not sure is not yes. It has to be yes, let's do it, or it's a no. Um, Here's another one that's strictly sexual. It's not contingent upon a sexual interest or sexual arousal. Just because person A is interested in person B doesn't mean person B has to return the interest and it does not give consent. I don't want you, if person B says, I don't want you, no, person A, stop. It's a done. Also, this is another tricky one, especially people who are dating or or actually in a long-term relationship. It's not compensatory. Uh, You know, a lot of people dating, gay, straight, bisexual, otherwise, I've given you dinner and a movie. You owe me sex. Nope. That's prostitution. That's a whole different set of consensual issues. There's Mm -hmm. no compensation in this kind of thing. Consent has to be free. It -hmm. cannot be coerced. It cannot be a qualifier based on, oh, I've done this for you, therefore you do this for me. 
and this is a discussion that has come about with the uh, the friend zone topic that has been going around the interwebs lately. Is you know just because you're a nice guy, just because you've been nice to me, doesn't mean I'm obligated to date you and or have sex with you and or you know whatever you seem to think that I should be doing for you. Yeah, yeah. Or someone says, "Oh, you're hot and sexy. Let's get it on," and the person says, mm-hmm. "No, not interested." You stop. Well, and from the perspective of you know, I, I, I'm going to use the more obvious example here. If if you're flir- if you're flirting with a guy and he gets an erection because of your flirting, that is not consent either. Nope. You know, no, just not. because somebody has a positive reaction does not make it okay to pursue that. Yeah, but a number of people don't get that one. Sadly. Uh, Yeah, it's kind of tricky. But again, mm-hmm. and, and, and and like I said, it's not just sexual situations. It's every situation. This is why the problem with child sexual abuse is so problematic. A child, by definition, cannot properly give informed consent. A child, mm-hmm. especially a really young child... Because a child hasn't learned. I mean, there are some cultures which put the age of informed consent as young as eight. Mm-hmm. There are others who don't put it until you're 16 or 18. In all cases, it's, again, it's this whole idea of who consents and how much. Mm-hmm. But, well, and and I would point out sorry. that particularly in our modern culture, you know, there. There's so much complexity in modern Western culture that, you know, that's one of the reasons why I think we have the age of consent so much higher than it has been in previous eras is we have so much complexity in our world. It's hard to grasp all of that, even as a fully functional adult. So expecting even a teenager to be able to to grasp all of the consequences and all of the the issues surrounding this one situation, you know, it's it's kind of ridiculous that they would be able to do that. And uh, you know, then there are those people who will say, well, if we allow this kind of consent, then next thing you know, people will be marrying their cats and dogs. Cats and dogs can't give legal consent. Just saying. I know, and, and, that, and that's the. And that's the thing that needs to be said. A child, again, a person has to be able to give consent, informed consent. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, animals can't do that. Children can't really do it. So, you know, this is why parents can say, no, you're not going to go to that party. No, you can't get on that ride. And the child, no matter how much the child wants to, the child has, you know, is expected to give in because, you know, you're, th- you're five or six. If the child is five or six. Uh, you don't know exactly what you're getting into. Just because you may be tall enough to get onto the ride, maybe you're not big enough to get onto the ride, mm-hmm. if, you know, if you know what I mean. And, and you know, I and run it, into this a lot with, with my kids right now is, 
they are so eager to do things, but they don't really understand what they're eager to be doing. You know, they're they're like, we can do this, we can do this, and I'm like, okay, except for this, 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 and this. And they're looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, you didn't know that was something that was even relevant to this situation. Therefore, you cannot make that decision. Mhm. Yeah. So, and you know, I I can I can see, you know, in my mind's eye, I can see even even myself having this this gut reaction of, okay, so essentially, you know. I I went to go have sex with my significant other of how long have we been together? Five years. Five years. Every single time I want to fondle, grope, or jump his bones, I'm supposed to say, "Honey, can I do this to you?" and wait for him to go, "Yes." Yeah. So I I, I, I know, guess what I it sounds I'm like thinking, a lot of extra work, doesn't it? Well, the thing is, you know, there there are shortcuts, but these are shortcuts that are established in a relationship over a period of time. You know, but by the same you, token, one day you're feeling really want, and your partner is going, "Yeah, I just don't feel like it tonight." Well, consent has been withdrawn. Right. Right. So what that means is, even though I don't have to say, you know, am I allowed to to grope slash fondle slash jump your bones today and then wait for the enthusiastic yes, even though we have may, may have gotten to the part of our relationship where we don't necessarily have to go through that process every single time, if there is a no and it has been established that there needs to be a no, then that needs to still be honored. And, you know, when I say shortcuts, you know, I'm talking about healthy relationship shortcuts. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about yeah. a, a situation where, you know, and I'm going for the most common example I can think of, you know, a husband thinks that wife is chattel and can, you know, fondle, grope, etc. whenever he feels like it. You know, at that point, you may want to stress that you have you really have to wait for the approval every time. But you know, I mean the thing is yeah, I I don't I don't want it to the the issue of consent is by no means unimportant. Don't don't let me make that mistake in 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 coming across like that at all. This this is a very important issue. But I also don't want to make it sound like you cannot have the the seduction and the romance and the comfort level to create these shortcuts of understanding consent without necessarily going through the entire verbal process. Yeah, I mean, it's, see, that's the thing is, if the parties are healthy. Mm-hmm. And they can then they can negotiate through verbal and also nonverbal means a shared consent mm-hmm. with the understanding that either of them, or in the case of a plural relationship, any of them can temporarily or permanently withdraw consent. Mm-hmm. 
for a lot of people, especially abuse survivors, we had consent stripped from us. Mm-hmm. And it is really hard to get it back. Um, people who've been raped, especially women, often become very untrusting, even of their spouse. You know, I'm assuming that it was a non-spouse who raped, who was the rapist, just for this example. They have trouble even being intimate with their spouse because since consent was taken from them so violently, it leaves permanent distrust. Right. A child who was sexually abused or even non-sexually abused has issues giving consent because consent was stolen mm-hmm. from them. Right. And, it takes, and that's why we need to emphasize these consent rules mm-hmm. because one Let's see, what what is what is the latest latest numbers? One in four citizens of the United States have been abused before the age of eighteen, either physically, emotionally, sexually, or verbally. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that means one in four people you encounter has some form of consent trust issue. Mm-hmm. It's easier to assume everybody has a consent trust issue. Well, and, and you're you're talking about you're talking about just the people who have gone through something either traumatic or in their childhood traumatic. You know, yep. that's not even talking about people who have had situations where, you know, for example, you have a woman goes out on a date, gets a little tipsy, mm-hmm. they end up having sex, and she's not really sure that she had wanted to have sex, but it wasn't that she said no, and it wasn't that he really forced her to do it, and it, you know, so you have these huge gray areas where, you know, you can't really blame him because, you know, he he isn't informed enough to to go through the whole consent process and maybe she said yes but she you know he didn't realize that she was too drunk to give consent it, all of all of these things come into play where you you have this situation where an otherwise normally healthy adult has gone through something that isn't even really traumatic and maybe she doesn't even consider it like a rape it's just more like this little question thing in the back of her head but I mean, when you, when you take all of those people into consideration, you're looking at probably 70% of people. Yeah. And also the other little thing. Um, our culture is very, well, it's not always touchy-feely. Mm-hmm. But it is very much, uh, how do I want to say this? We assume consent in our culture. A lot of times, culture. yes. Yes. And that's one of the things that's the problem. You can't, you know, I someone goes to a party. 
uh, and there's lots of drinking going on. The person does not, if the person who's gone to the party has not specifically chosen an alcoholic beverage, you can't give that per, you can't force an alcoholic beverage on that person. There may be a tremendous amount of pressure for that person to take a drink, in which case the person chooses to leave or and realizes I'm not going back to this group because they're, 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 that's pressure. And, that, and there's lots of reasons why a person may not want to get a drink, mm-hmm. including being the designated driver for the night. But you, again, there are so many situations where consent is assumed when it shouldn't be assumed. But mm-hmm. yes, it is complicated to get everyone verbal consent. But, I mean, for example, let's say it's a pagan gathering. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, you can assume with some degree of correctness that everyone present at the ritual has consented to be there. Right? Probably. Yes. So, uh, so if the person, but if one of the participants is starting to have issues with the ritual. That person can withdraw his or her consent and should be free to leave. Mm-hmm. Or, or free mm-hmm. to say, um, stop, this bothers me. And the, I know it, it can potentially really disrupt the ritual, but, the, but that person has a right to leave. I mean, mm-hmm. even if it's something... I've encountered this at funerals. Someone is just really being overcome by this funeral situation. Uh, in in one case that stands out in my mind, uh, it was a person who it was a funeral for a person who had died in a very serious car accident, and the mug and one of the attendees, her child, had been in a serious accident, hadn't been killed but it was mm-hmm. nonetheless seriously triggering for this woman, so she had to leave. It, she did not mean to disrupt the ritual. I mean, you know, the funeral was, you know, she was there for her family who were directly connected with the deceased. But she had to leave or she would have completely lost it. But, so, you know, there, are, there should always be an out for, for someone who doesn't, Consent because of something. Mm-hmm. And, and you know that's that's something that we don't, as pagans, often address. And you know, I would even suggest that this kind of falls into a an intersection, shall we say, of the concept of Wiccanet privilege. Of you know when we go to rituals, it's generally assumed that you're going to be okay with a, you know, merry meet, blessed be, call the quarters, goddess and god kind of situation. And, mm-hmm. you know, if if there's somebody there that actually does have a problem with that, they either have to, you know, excuse themselves and possibly make a scene or suffer through it. Well, I'll just I'll just dinner real quick on that because um 
I use the basic, you know, I, I call it I call it post Wicca, but Wiccan eight works too. Um, you know, there is a grounding, centering, circle casting y elements, allies kind of a structure to the rituals that I do. Um, but at the same time I make it really, really clear before my ritual starts, like, hey, when we when we quote unquote cast the circle, um, that's really just an acknowledgement that we're coming here together as a community. For any reason at any time need to leave the ritual, you totally can. If you need to go to the bathroom, you can. If you need to go get a drink of water or go take a moment outside, you can. You know, if you do come back, just come back. Just, you know, if you have to leave or, you know, if you do come back, just just come back, you know, with, uh, you know, as, as intrusively as you can. And, you know, because I as the group leader have established that, um, Nobody gets, nobody feels like there's a disruption when somebody leaves because I just said, hey, that's okay if somebody does that. Um, I wasn't ever thinking of it in terms of consent, but that's absolutely what I mean. Now, may I interject something now that I finally arrived? <laughs> Hello, I'm here. Um, a lot of uh, group rituals that I've attended, at least in the Lincoln, Nebraska area, have a uh, meet and greet prior to the ritual where everybody is given the opportunity to get comfortable with the people that they're going to be having ritual with, as well as to get kind of a basic understanding of what the ritual is going to entail, whether it's going to be the typical Wiccan-style ritual or if it's going to be um, a Norse bloat or what have you. And you know, so everybody's given that opportunity as well as many of them let the attendees know that if for some reason or another you know, we're having a, uh, an intensely, potentially emotional-based uh, ritual, and if that gets to be too much for you, let so-and-so, a designated person or several people, depending on the size of the group, know that you need to leave. And if it's the, the standard cast circle, like in a Wiccan ritual, they would cut the gate, let you out, close the gate, that kind of thing, with as little disruption as possible and uh, even my own uh, mother coven does something like that because we do sometimes have rather emotionally intense rituals we did a uh, a Samhain ritual several years ago where um, we forgot to have the sacred box of Kleenex because there was a guided meditation that brought up a lot of emotion for uh, a couple of the attendees one of which her mother had recently passed away. And somebody thought, go get Kleenex. They you know, let themselves out of the circle, went, got the Kleenex, came back, and just quietly passed it around the circle, starting with the person that needed it the most, with basically no disruption whatsoever to the entire thing. So it is possible, like you were describing, Arthur, for people to excuse themselves for whatever the reason is, whether it be too intensely emotional, whether it be they're just uncomfortable with the way things are going, or like you said, Shauna, they suddenly have that urge that they need to go to the bathroom or they need to get a drink because it's an enclosed space and they're using way too much incense, something along those lines. It's, that goes along with the consent idea by letting them know that they have that option. And I'm going to shut up now because I know nobody was really expecting me to be here tonight. 
That's okay. See, what we do is we bring <laughs> in one person as soon as one person leaves. And Shauna had to leave. Um, she has some uh, personal business type of stuff to attend to. So, mm-hmm. And she hit that two-hour mark, which for some reason her Internet connection flakes out and drops her after two hours anyways. <laughs> We've discovered that over the uh, course of time having her on the show. Yep. Okay, so um and I know I have missed a lot and I'm not going to ask anybody to try to get me caught up because we have gone into the start of the third hour, uh, which means that the live broadcast is not going out to those listeners. They'll have to catch the rest in archive. Uh is there anything that you covered that you would like to talk directly with me about? Well, um, we've we've talked with Kat, Sha- uh, Kat Chapin Bishop, pronounce her name correctly, mm-hmm. yes, um, regarding her perspective as a therapist on the abuse ideas. Um, mm-hmm. We've talked with Shauna about the frosts and the Florida pegging gathering, which has been mostly resolved in a very interesting way, and. Um, I think I, I I'm think going to have to go find an article. Oh, I'm sending them to you. Okay, okay. Oh, is that the if, I, if you haven't already gotten it in your email? Oh, and, that's, that's um, okay. Arthur has just given us a very excellent review over um, the concepts of consent and what it does and does not include, um, even going so far as to uh, include non-sexual consent issues. Mm-hmm. And that's about where I came in was on the end of that. It, uh, what I was hearing was very well put. Um, really, I think as, as far as it goes, um, I have nothing more that I can think of that needs to be added to the discussion. So, you know, if if you guys have, have more that you would like to put forth on that, then go for it. Having not been here for the majority of the show, I have no place to go other than what I've already said, you know, tuning in, catching what Arthur was saying and what Shauna said. So I think we should be okay there. Arthur? Well, um, I really... Really tricky, so you know, to go beyond what I've said about consent. I mean, there are lots of different situations. Again, we we tend to think of consent with sex or consent with uh, in a ritual situation, uh, a, con- a consent with friends is something else. I mean, sometimes you know, peer pressure is an example of where consent is forced. Mm-hmm. You've got to go along because if you don't you disrupt the group, it'll be a problem. So if a person is doesn't feel comfortable, let that person feel uncomfortable. You can talk about it, yes. And maybe through careful conversation, you can get that consent. 
problem is always, um, is it consent or is it coercion? Mm-hmm. Is the person saying yes or is the person being forced? Right. And, um, you know, one, one of the things that I would even point out that may be, um, at least to my perspective, more of an issue in the pagan communities is the idea that, you know, we're constantly trying to test boundaries and push ourselves a little bit out of our comfort zones so that we can grow as individuals and things like that. And that can really, really intersect with the concept of consent. You know, are you are you just helping somebody push beyond their comfort zone or are you violating their consent? Yeah. And and that is and that is something else to bring up. Yes, some people don't want to go past their comfort zone at this time, mm-hmm. or maybe ever. That's fine. But by the same token, sometimes it's got to be done. I mean, if you know, if you have proof that someone is abusing someone else, it will make a lot of people uncomfortable to bring that out into the open but it needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Or you've basically said, I know this is bad, but I'm going to, but for the good of the group, I'm going to keep silent, and it gets worse. And this is, I'll, get, I'll be a very, give a very blunt example of this. The Catholic Church's refusal to deal for so long with the ch- sexual abuse of children by priests Instead of actually saying, sorry, you can't do this. This is what you're a priest. They just shuffled them to a different uh, parish where they would do it again. And so in doing so, they, the, the church caused irreparable harm, not only to all of the abused children, but to its whole membership as this has come out into the public. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they didn't want to harm the, you know, they didn't want to cause a problem. They didn't want to cause an issue. Yeah, cause an issue. Otherwise, your party to the wrong. Mm-hmm. And this, and this is something. You see someone being pressured at a festival, at a festival event, at a, a ritual, at a party. Stand up for that person. If the person, if the person, if the person you think is being harassed says no, no, it's fine. Accept that, at least conditionally. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, I mean, okay, you're not the rapist, but you could have stopped it. And, and you know, I, I think, I think what what you're saying is that the entire issue of consent is by nature never going to be completely black and white in the sense that you you have so many different kinds of situations. The only thing that's really black and white is the solid yes and the enthusiastic or the the enthusiastic yes and the solid no. Those are the only things that are that are really black and white. But you have so many situations where you know making the other shades of gray Right. You know, there's so much gray in there that 
it's it's but, something and, that we need to continually revisit. And that's why the the people who have really thought and studied this issue on consent. That's why they say yes. There's this gray area between the yes and the no. But for everyone's sake, if it's not the enthusiastic yes, it's the no. Mm-hmm. Maybe is a no, or I don't feel like it right now. That's a no. Or the person makes up a boyfriend or girlfriend. It's a no. But it's really challenging in our culture, again, because everyone assumes consent because you're there. Mm-hmm. Well, there's lots of reasons to be there wherever there is. And so yep. you negotiate. Hopefully. So... And, uh, and sorry, and okay. when you don't negotiate, when you just assume, that's when things get um, potentially into the abuse, rape, or territory, uh, or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. And sadly, we have a tendency to then go in straight into the whole victim blaming and shaming aspects of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, what, one thing that I would like to bring up at this time is uh, there is a a rape awareness campaign that's being done in Canada called um, the, it's the Don't Be That Guy campaign. And mm-hmm. it deserves mention because instead of telling uh, women and potential victims what not to do to prevent themselves from being victimized. Um, it tells potential perpetrators, specifically the ones who who fall into this gray area of, well, um, she didn't say no kind of people. It teaches them about the concept of you know what consent means what what is and is not consent you know if she's passed out that's not consent if you know mm-hmm. if you help yeah. her to her car because she's drunk that's not consent so you know i i, I would like to point out the kudos on that particular uh, marketing campaign yeah because all too often we want to blame the victim. And no. <laughs> it's often the... Uh, you know, you, you, you're a victim. You're not... Mm-hmm. No, I, I don't know of anybody who goes around saying, hey, use me, abuse me. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the the part that makes that particularly tragic is that... There's such a strong sense of 
guilt and tendency for victims to second guess everything that they did and everything that they said and and essentially blame themselves. They don't need somebody else coming in and saying, "Yeah, you know, you should have done something." No, no, they need they need to be supported rather than given the the onus of somebody else's actions. Yep. Very much. And again, it doesn't matter the situation. I mean, again, just because we always think sex, I keep repeating myself on this one, <laughs> just because we all we think sex doesn't mean it's just about sex. Mm-hmm. Um, any kind of situation, you know, okay, prayer in school. You don't want to pray. I mean, the the rule in our public schools is you cannot force someone to pray. Conversely, you can't stop someone from praying privately. Mm-hmm. It's just that the teachers, the principals, the adults are denied consent to do a class prayer, a school prayer. The students can pray. The teacher mm-hmm. can pray. You know, it's just, again, it's this whole idea of consent. Right. Because, you know, unless it's, unless it's a Catholic school where every single student is Catholic, you have all sorts of different religious views and outlooks. If it's a, a Seventh-day Adventist school where every student is, a, is from a Seventh-day Adventist household, in that case, that's different. But in a public school, in a public situation, there's a huge diversity of ideas and attitudes. Mm-hmm. One to meet. And again, so consent. <laughs> and as far as the law is concerned, you don't have cons- if you're a teacher, you don't have consent to make children pray. Right. I know that, that, but and then you know, and then the other thing, you know, when you go to a festival, a pagan festival, let's be very specific here, you're going to have all sorts of different types of pagans there, mm-hmm. and so it can be really tricky to come up with a ritual that is good for everybody. I when I when I went to Heartland last year I noticed that there were some times when the rituals seemed a little off but again because there was this consent to attend to attend the festival you consent to certain things and well, among and those things was you could withdraw yourself from a ritual if it made you uncomfortable mm-hmm. and, and that, that that was the, the big thing is that you know the just because you were at Heartland doesn't mean you had to attend anything. You know, you could wander around. And the the only thing that was really, quote-unquote, forced upon anybody was that it was a clothing-optional festival. You were going to see nakedness. That was it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that... I, I have to and admit... Just because I'm, you see nakedness doesn't mean you get to touch. Right, and, and that's that's the 
the thing is, you know, you would think that there would be a lot more ogling and a lot more um, just bad behavior, you know, especially since apparently men are just, you know, completely out of control who can't help themselves. That was my sarcasm voice. But, I mean, the thing is, I've, I never have had an experience like that at Heartland, and I've never even seen an experience like that at Heartland where there was any kind of I guess consistent um, overstepping of bounds. You know, somebody might make an overture and be turned down or, you know, something like that. But, you know, really there was there was no excessive anything despite all of the nudity, which, you know, just kind of means that maybe men can control themselves after all. <laughs> Yeah. Shocking. Shocking. <laughs> um. Yeah. Even in the uh, the areas where it was known that certain, and what I mean what I mean by known is that that's what the area was for was for you know drunken debauchery. Essentially, it was it was a place to you know just basically blow off. Literally, sometimes steam, and even there, nobody was being pressured into anything other than I think you've had a little too much to drink. How about you have some water? You know, it was just hey, we're all here having fun. We're having some adult fun over here. No children allowed. Yada yada. You know, all that stuff that is very good to have. Nobody was being pressured to go there. Nobody was being pressured to do anything when they were there. If they felt uncomfortable, they could politely excuse themselves or just turn around and leave. They didn't even have to say anything, and it was just like, okay, have a good night. Nothing pushed, nothing shoved, unless it was wanted. And and there were also people there who, you know, if they were – trained to some extent when there was a problem, when there was an issue, to know when and how to intercede on behalf of both parties mm-hmm. before things got out of hand. Yeah, a lot of the volunteer staff at Heartland, and I can only speak to Heartland because I don't know about any of the other events. I haven't attended any other event like that, but a lot of the volunteer staff at Heartland are trained police officers, EMTs, firefighters, doctors, nurses, military, people who that's what they do for a living is pay attention to people's needs and assist with getting people out of situations that they are uncomfortable with or helping them with medical emergencies or, oh, look, the fire ring is not really keeping the fire under control kind of thing. You know, people who... Very, that wasn't just their job there. That's what they do on a day-to-day basis. So they were very much cognizant of what might be needed. Mm-hmm. As we all go quiet again. 
<laughs> well, I I think, you know, at this point the discussion is you know, it, it's coming to a, a wind down point. Mm-hmm. I, I won't say that it's over, but it's it's certainly winding down. At least and, for the night, yes. Well, no, I mean the the topic in general. Yeah. It's it's getting to that point. Yeah. And I think that the the big thing is that the pegging community as a whole has the gumption and the wherewithal to take the steps that you know have been proposed by a variety of people to make the gatherings you know that much better that much safer that much more conducive to reporting bad behavior and abusive behavior that much more um conducive to switching the this discussion from a one of victim blaming such as Zipporah and her family ha- had had to endure to one where um victims are listened with consider listened to with consideration and understanding and options yeah i I think that's those are the steps that we need to take and i I sincerely hope that the the people who have the skill sets to take some of these steps because I certainly don't have the skill set to teach people how to do reporting but i I hope that the people who do have these skill sets make these these choices to make things more available. I hope that the the organizers take the steps to make these things not just available but also actually usable in in the situations that they will be needed. I, I really hope that that we have the courage to take these steps. I agree. Well, thank you for allowing me to come on the show again. Well, thank you. You're, you're always welcome to. And I will um, go so you can sign off and so whatever. <laughs> Have a good evening. You too. And you too. Okay. Um, before we go for the sign-off. I did not announce what the introduction piece was, so I feel obligated to do that. Um, It was Branwyn's Lament from the Antlered Crown and Standing Stone CD by Dave the Bard. You almost said damn the Bard, didn't you? I I was typing and talking at the same time. It's not fair. There's an M. (laughs) Uh, good choice so, to start um, out with, yes. And then we had uh, Firebird's Child by S.J. Tucker. And whatever you choose to draw us out, because we have not stopped for music. Okay. Uh, you're putting me on the spot for that, aren't you? I'm not even on that screen right now. Thank you. I have to reopen the page. <laughs> which it's... 
maybe <laughs> possibly going to do for me. I don't know. I, I've, I've been kind of in that mode all evening of, oh, I'm supposed to be doing something, which is not a good mode to be when you're on stage doing a play. It's like, oh, hey, yeah, it's me, isn't it? That's what was going on in my head, not necessarily what was happening, thank goodness. But, hey, I nailed Meryl Streep. Oh, don't take it that way. <laughs> so I had to throw a little bit of humor in. You know me. It, no matter how serious the conversation is, I have to break it up with a little bit of humor. Um, okay, you've done Dave the Bard. You've done... Uh, why I'm must sorry? Love, how about Why Must Love Be Twined With Sorrow, Wendy Rule from her Black Snake album? That would be a good choice. That's her latest release, too. Just came out uh, December of last year, if I remember correctly. So there we go. Uh, Thank you, Kali, Sarah, for taking over for the night and allowing me to do what I was doing this evening. Um, I wasn't here for the conversation, but I would like to say thank you to uh, all of our guests uh, I'm, I'm sure the first two hours of the show were wonderful. I'll listen to them in the very, very near future. Um, so Shauna and uh, name escapes me. Cat. Cat. Chapin. Bishop. Bishop. Thank you. I always want to say Mary Chapin Carpenter. <laughs> and of course Arthur for joining us tonight. Well, joining you tonight and. Thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, We don't have a set plan for next week, but please do tune in next Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time. I'm sure we will have something that will be of interest to many of our listeners. And uh, until then, how about we just have some music and we'll see you next time.
Maybe the night that my dreams might let me know All the stars are closer All the stars are closer Tell me what you gon' do to me Confrontation ain't nothing new to me You could bring a bullet, bring a sword, bring a morgue But you can't bring the truth to me Alexa, play Kendrick Lamar and SZA Okay With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need Get tens of millions of songs Download the Amazon Music app today